right. We are going to um, start off by just uh, reminding ourselves where we are. We're going to do our quick overview of James. And uh, perhaps you're wondering, why do we have to do this every single week, David? This seems like it takes a long time. It doesn't seem like it makes much of a difference. And the reason I do this is twofold. There you go. Now you're always going to remember that it's a twofold reason, right? Uh, first off, I want you to remember what we've already talked about in James. And maybe this will help jog your memory just a little bit to remind you of uh, past messages. And also, I want you to also rethink a little bit of the book of James itself. By doing this, I want you to sense that there is a flow and a theme, and this isn't just the Proverbs of the New Testament, although it has a lot of wisdom to share with us. It seems to be a sermon uh, that maybe feels a little bit disjointed, but it definitely has a flow and a theme and a message, and I want you to catch this by going through this every single week. This is, as we've defined it, a sermon full of friendly fire. This is a, a pastor, James, who is preaching to us every single week about the reality and the validity of our faith. So that's kind of why we're doing this every single week. Let's go through it, though. Uh, first off, why uh, should you rejoice in trials? Because trials... The sound of skin uh, rubbing against your... Never mind. Uh, Trials strengthen your faith, but only if you pray to God in them for wisdom. Why? Because wisdom helps you think eternally. Uh, wisdom helps you look forward to the crown. Uh, wisdom knows that temptations come from within. And wisdom... I love how you guys just follow me. I could do anything right now. Uh, wisdom <laughs> trusts everything that comes from God. Wisdom trusts everything that comes from God. Um, but <laughs> second part of James. All right. How do I know my faith or your faith is true? Let everybody be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. God's word is my mere so that I may do it. Sorry, I'm just distracted, I guess. Uh, remember, true faith, true faith helps the weak, controls the mouth, and turns away from the world. Don't show personal favoritism. Sorry, I did that wrong. This was last week's message. All the guys are like, I don't know, don't go over there. <laughs> Don't want to send any wrong signals. All right. Uh, sorry, it's this. Don't show personal favoritism. <laughs> Love for others keeps God's law. All right, there you go. That was last week's. Uh, don't show personal favoritism. Love for others keeps God's law. You guys are going to remember this, though. You know you're going to remember this. All right. That brings us to where we're at tonight. Let's go to James 2. James 2. James 2, verse 14 says this, What use is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or, or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, 
and you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Let me read that last verse one more time, the second half of it. Uh, or the, I'll just read the whole thing. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. I think that's really the key verse of this entire section. Let's pray really quick. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for um, this evening that we get to gather here together and enjoy fellowship around your word and under your word. And I pray that your word would be sharp to show us ourselves and to truly reveal reveal the nature and the quality of our faith. If this humbles us, Lord, I pray that we would run to you in that humility, that we would run to you in that poverty of faith, that weakness of faith, that lack of faith, that lack of quality, and we would trust in Christ Jesus alone. Pray this all in his name. Amen. It's a common biblical warning. You probably know it very well, and it has to do with fruit. Do you have any fruit in your life? Matter of fact, we see this again and again in the Bible, right? Fruits, that's works, reveal roots. See that again and again. Jesus warns again and again. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. You will know the true nature of this tree. You will know the true nature of this faith by the fruit that it Produces. That is a warning that we see again and again in Scripture. And James is going to take up this warning and really, and really give us both barrels here. And this is, his, this is one of his big sections in his middle section of his letters that's, that's all about how God's Word, like trials, show you your faith. God's Word is like a mirror to show you you to you. It's going to ask you some questions about the validity of your faith, the proof of your faith. Can you show that your faith is real? And maybe you've heard this phrase before. Maybe you've heard uh, faith referred to as saving faith. How do I know my faith is truly saving faith? And, and by that, um, we're saying, does your faith have evidence? Do, do you have a demonstration of your faith? Is it the real thing? Are there proofs that your faith is true and real? And not just some fluffy thing that doesn't really matter is your faith saving faith this of course brings up the reformed idea um, that many many people died for and that was basically the truth of the gospel the truth of the gospel that the reformers um, discovered is still true even though this text seems to say the opposite the truth of salvation is that salvation is by faith alone through grace alone in Christ alone, that is true salvation. Salvation is by grace, salvation is through faith, and salvation is in Christ, and alone, alone, alone. That is the, that is the truth that was rediscovered in the Reformation, that was lost throughout the medieval period of our history. But, but the Reformers would say, right, uh, salvation is by all of these things alone. Salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. That is what the Reformers would say every single time. 
So this message is actually a very reformed message. This, this passage in your Bibles is, is very good to know. This is the truth of the gospel. Is your faith really fruitful faith? Luther said, Luther, one of the, the key reformers, um, this, this, these, these Latin words on my shirt actually belong to Luther. I'm not going to read them because my leaders told me, don't do that, David. It's going to be a mistake. Addie's going to correct you, then you're going to be embarrassed. So I'm not going to read that. But this shirt basically says, I am simultaneously righteous or justified and sinner. That is Reformed teaching. I am at the same time a sinner and righteous. I am a sinner and saint at the same time. That's what Luther said. Luther said, he also loved the book of Galatians because it showed him this. Matter of fact, it's a cool story. I love it. He refers, he referred to the book of Galatians by a nickname. He called Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, my Katie. And some of you are like, that's weird. My sister's name is Katie. That's weird. Um, Katie was his wife, right? So he had such an affection for this book that he referred to it by the most affectionate name he could think of, and that was his wife's name. Um, Stephen Nichols, who is a, a biography of Lu- uh, a biographer of Luther, says it's probably a compliment to both. If you think about it for a long time, right? He thought of his wife so highly that he compared her to this, and and the book was uh, never mind. So hey, that was Luther, right? He loved he loved the doctrine of justification by faith alone. He loved that. He loved that. But he also said this. Oh, about this faith. It is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. And so it is impossible for it is not, so it is impossible for it not to do good works incessantly. It does not ask whether there are good works to do, but before the question rises, it has already done them and is always at the doing of them. He who does not have these works is a faithless man. He gropes and looks about after faith and good works and knows neither what faith is nor what good works are, though he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. Luther himself said, true faith is a busy faith. It's an active faith. It is a faith full of works, yet it does not rest on works before God. And that's something we need to remember, right? Um, now, now, James here, in chapter 2, <coughs> verse 14, kind of says this, right? Your, your faith, if it doesn't have fruit, if it doesn't have evidence to it, is a dead thing. And he gives, can't you see it? It's a ludicrous example. Matter of fact, it's, it's hilarious. This is so obviously a sign of dead faith. You can't escape it, right? He, he says, what if you have a brother or a sister? And they have no clothes. And they have no food. Literally, they are maybe naked and they're coming shivering to you and they have no food or clothes and they are or poorly dressed or something like this. They, they have nothing and they come to you and they ask for these things and what do you do? You say, it's going to be okay. God is sovereign. God is good. You are at peace with God right now. Matter of fact, he has given you all things every spiritual heavenly blessing. You should be really content with those heavenly spiritual blessings to the point where you don't even remember your problems. Look at what it says, verse 16. Go in peace. Be warmed. Be satisfied. Right? Some people think maybe this is like a prayer, right? May God warm you. May God satisfy you. What has that happened to you? Yeah, I believe that. 
but don't you have anything you can help me with? <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing, awkward, right? This is not true faith. What is that? Notice what he says, verse 17. If it has no work, it is dead by itself. Of course, this helps you, this helps you understand a few of the words that he uses, right? When he uses faith and when he uses works, what is he talking about there? When, he, when James uses faith, he is saying he's referring to somebody who just knows truth. I just know a lot of true things about God. That, that is what this person's faith is. I, I, I know the truth. I know the Bible. I know what the Word of God says. I know what the Gospel is. I know who Jesus was, right? This is faith. This is mental assent. I know a lot of things about the Bible. It, but it is knowledge without any application. It is knowledge without any, any change in your life. It is, you know, first grader knowledge, right? And then also, this helps us define works, right? This is not ceremony. Think about this. This is not ceremony to get you to God. This is works are acts of love that demonstrate that you are truly from God, that you are, are born again, that you are truly a spiritual living being. I'll say that again, right? Works are not ceremony here, according to James, to get you to God, to make you righteous before God. They are evidence that your faith is truly from God. Or to, to uh, say this, First John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, right? How do you know that you have been born of God and that you know God? It's because you love like he loves. You have works like he has works. That's what James is talking about here. Don't be confused. This illustration, though, kind of helps establish that, right? Are you treating that brother or are you treating that sister like God has treated you? God didn't just say to you, be warm, be filled. Your sins are a problem, but be happy. No, he got dirty in your business. He came down and took on your problems. And not just your problems, he took on your griefs, your sorrows, your sin, and your judgment. And as a result, the faith that you have in him looks a lot like his, doesn't it? You are an imitator of God. And that's how you know you've been born of God, because of your works. But a, a faith without works... Faith without works is a dead thing. Faith that's true, though, can't be separated from works. Works are just tied up in faith. But that's what we're talking about. Those are the kinds of works we are talking about. Works that demonstrate the validity of your faith. I want to give you, here in James, four, four examples clarifying saving faith. If you ever wondered what saving faith looks like, these are four examples clarifying saving faith. We're going to first look at a supernatural example, then we're going to look at an Old Testament example, then we're going to look at another Old Testament example, then we're going to look at a natural example. And I'm going to give you these kind of just basically, I'm just going to give you like, okay, here's the first example, here's the second example, and listen, listen, I'm going to actually give you the point at the end of each point. So be listening. I'm not actually going to give you the point right up front. I'm going to say, here's the first point, talk a little bit, and then tell you what that point is, okay? So there you go. Four examples clarifying saving faith. First off, let's look at the supernatural example. You can say this is, this is the demon's faith, uh, 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons believe also. And shudder. 
Notice here, James, James is kind of taking up this kind of pretend debate opponent. Makes it much more vivid, right? He's saying, yeah, yeah you believe that God is one, and, and you know what that's probably referring to. Maybe you don't. This is a uh, the quintessential Jewish confession of faith. Deuteronomy 6, 4, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But the, the testimony of a Jew, the, 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 the center point of their faith was this confession, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And James is saying, hey, you believe the Lord is one. Good job. You do, you do well, right? It's good to believe true things. It's great to believe good things. So you can have a lot of right knowledge about God, but that might not be a good thing. This is kind of knowledge like, you know, adventure club knowledge, right? You got, you got all of those little things on your bag that prove that you know a lot of verses, or at least at one point did. <laughs> I don't know how that works, <laughs> right? If, if you're from Awana, it means you have the Timothy Award, right? That's, that's, this is proof that you have all this. Maybe you have uh, A pluses on all of your BTI papers, right? I know God really well. I even, watch, I even read all of Cross and Salvation, and I can quote it verbatim for you right now, right? I know a lot about how God works. You may have impressive, really impressive conversation in small group. It might be, it might be like, wow, you could go on and on about these things, right? That is knowledge. You know a lot, right? This is what James is saying. You have orthodox knowledge. You know God well. You believe true things. But notice the terrifying warning the terrifying warning about just knowing a lot of things. Demons will always know more than you, right? Yeah, James says, you believe that God is one, you do well, but uh, remember, the demons, the demons also believe that God is one. And they even shudder. Think about it this way. The demons have great theology. If you read through the Gospels, the demons are the only ones that have right Christology. They are the only ones that seem to know who Jesus is and what he's up to, right? And you see this, especially in passages like Luke, Luke 4, uh, 34. You, uh, you, you see them, they're, they're terrified by their right knowledge of Jesus. They say to Jesus, why have you come here? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They have eschatology, they have Christology, they have a sense of judgment. They know that Christ is here to judge them, and they are terrified by this truth. And notice this, they not only have right knowledge, but they also have an emotional response to this knowledge, right? Some of you are like, well, Knowing things and feeling things about those things I know is all that my faith seems to have. The demons do the exact same thing. Verse 20. Are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? You, you can have a lot of knowledge, faith about God, but that faith is useless to you. It can be useless if demons can have faith, right? What's the application here? What's the thought here, right? Fantastic knowledge about God, incredible knowledge about God is not an evidence of salvation. Matter of fact, here's a shocker for you. Hell is full of people that have 100% accurate knowledge of God. 100% accurate knowledge. 
Now they do. They didn't, maybe, but now they do. It is full of people. And, 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 and hear the warning here, mental knowledge alone without a heart change is actually really, really scary. It's really, really scary. Why do the demons tremble? The demons tremble because they hate God. They know a lot of things about God, but they hate Him all the same. They resist Him. They resent His rule. They want to be the ones getting glory, especially Satan. But all the demons probably share in that characteristic, don't you think? That's why they they tremble. They tremble out of fear of judgment, that they know they're going to be judged, but they also tremble out of rage. You could say Psalm 2, 1 through 3 comes from somewhere, and it probably comes from demonic forces, right? The kings of the earth tremble, and also the spiritual kings of the earth, they tremble as well. They don't want to be ruled by God, and they tremble at his name. But but it's a real scary sign. It's it's a sign, perhaps, that, that you are hardened. You can have a lot of knowledge, and actually that knowledge, if you don't respond to it well, will harden you. That's why it's so dangerous to hear God's word. But here's the point. Here's the point of our our first point. You can be God's enemy and have faith. Faith defined as knowledge, right? You can be God's enemy, bitter, everlasting enemy, and have something called faith. Knowledge is not enough. If it doesn't have change in your life. Here, let's look at another example that clarifies saving faith. This is an Old Testament example. This is the example of Abraham, and you see this in verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Have you ever heard the phrase, hey, nice wheels? Or, hey, uh, or have you ever heard the phrase, um, the White House made a statement that they are going to release certain uh, documents this fall? Now, is the White House actually speaking? The actual house, is the building like moving to speak? And are you actually saying to your friend, I really like the rubber things that you're, you're, you're driving this big metal uh, thing around on. I really like your tires specifically. Those are the things that I really like about your car. Not anything else, just the wheels, nice wheels. Is that really what you're saying? No, those are words that are kind of place words for the whole. They are, they are words that are referring to the whole object, emphasizing maybe an aspect of it. So the White House is referring to the spokesman for the White House, and of course that person is referred to as the White House. Why do I say all this? Let's figure of speech language lesson. Well, Abraham, the name Abraham, kind of functions like a figure of speech in Scripture. You say the name Abraham in Scripture, and instantly it's almost like a synonym for faith, right? He was like an Abraham. Whoa, faithful. He trusted God, right? But you could also say that the word Abraham is also a synonym for works, good works. 
Abraham was constantly obeying God. And, and this, is, this is the point, right? Abraham, as an example of faith, is also an example of how faith has evidences, right? From day one, faith always evidences itself with obedience and trust and obedience. Not perfect, but obedience and trust all the same. Matter of fact, you see that in verse 22, right? His faith was working with his works, or faith was working with his works. It is a constant, a constant expression of faith to have some sort of fruit or works to it. Abraham, the man whose faith always was working, always was active, always was busy, to borrow the phrase from Luther, right? His faith was obeying, was working. And you see here he is, in verse 21, justified by his works. Now, that is not saying that everything else in the Bible is wrong about justification. James is trying to say something specific. We, we know that he's not talking about justification to get you to God, justification to make yourself righteous to earn God's favor, because all throughout the Bible we see the opposite. Romans 3.20, it says, by works of the law, no one will be justified. We've got to hold those through intention. Or Psalm 143, verse 2 um, says, Do not enter into judgment with your slave, for no one living is righteous in your sight. I cannot work my way to God through works of righteousness and move from a, from a, um, a, a, a judgment over me for my sin to favor by my righteousness. Man is not justified by works of the law, Galatians 2.16 says. Uh, this is rather a different use of the, uh, sorry, it's a, another meaning of the same word. There's nuances in the, the original languages. Words can kind of have different shades of meaning. And this, this means the other sense of justification, which is prove or, or demonstrate or validate something. To demonstrate that it is legitimate, that it is genuine. That is what's happening here. Uh, he is, his faith is proven legitimate is evidenced, is shown by his works. Matter of fact, Jesus used this word in this very same way. In Matthew 12, 36, it says, by your words you will be justified, same word, and by your words you will be condemned, which is a similar word with a little bit of a uh, preposition attached to the front of it. You didn't need to know that. All to say, right, by your words you are justified, you are demonstrated, you are validated, you are proven to be genuine. The idea here is that true righteousness is first, yes, declared, credited, imputed to the believer, given to the believer freely as a gift, but then that righteousness, that right relationship with God, that new standing of peace between God changes you forever and shows off its value in your life all the time. What if I was to tell you right now, hey guys, I'm going to give you each a dollar. You'd be pretty excited about that, except, of course, inflation is killer these days, right? So it really doesn't matter very much. But you would know that it has some value, right? I, I know at least that I can go to Winco and buy a gumball with this dollar I'm about to receive. Why? Because that dollar, that piece of paper, isn't necessarily valuable in itself, but it has been imputed with value from the U.S. Treasury, right? This is declared valuable, and therefore it is. 
rapidly being reduced in value. But besides the point, right? But it's not enough to just have the dollar and to believe that it is imputed. It must be tested to be proven genuine because there's lots of forgeries on the market. For example, I'm going to give you all a dollar right now. Here we go. Pass them around. Take one down. Pass it around. There we go. There we go. Uh, these, my friends, are dollar bills. They are. But they have a certain name to them that uh, you may not be familiar with. These are daddy dollars. Now, in your economy, these dollar bills have no value, right? You can't even buy a gumball. You can't even buy a gumball from a friend with one of these things, right? They would throw it back in your face. You, you know it has no value, though, because it says not for legal tender, and it also has a really beautiful face on there. <laughs> um, but in our house, these have great value. My kids can choose what movie we watch tomorrow night with one of these because of the credited value with the institution that is David Papillon, right? But, but it's only valuable if it is tested or, or genuine or you go to the right place. Once again, let me, just, let me just emphasize this again, right? Faith, you are declared righteous before God, but that faith must be proven genuine. It must be proved legitimate. Otherwise, it's not real and genuine faith. The bottom line is Abraham demonstrated, right? He demonstrated that he was righteous before God by his actions. He demonstrated that he had a new relationship with God, and it wasn't one of judgment, but one of grace and mercy, and that was demonstrated through his faith. He cashed it in, and he proved that it was worth something. How do you know you're right with God? Well, you show evidences of it. And notice, notice the very word that James uses to describe Abraham's chief uh, fruit. It wasn't obedience. It wasn't even trust. Notice, it was that Abraham was a friend of God. Now, I could say a lot of things about what that probably means. But does your life show that you are in a right relationship with God? Does your life show that? Now, this is the point behind the point here. This is the point. You can't be a friend of God, a friend of God, without works, right? Uh, the way you know that you are a friend of God, you're in a right relationship with God, that your, your whole situation towards God has changed, is not because of how you feel, but because of what God has done for you. But then the way you know that that change has communicated itself in your life is when you start acting as though you are in a right relationship with God. You can't be a friend of God, though, without works. Abraham's faith was demonstrated through his works. By the way, the Bible refers to being God's friend a lot. You know how it describes being God's friend? It means you fear him. The friendship of the Lord, Psalm 25 says, is with those who fear him. This is not a, an equal relationship friendship. This is not like one of your kinds of friendship. This is a close and dear relationship, but this is a relationship that's founded on humility on your part on getting low on your part. You, you fear him. That's what a friendship with God looks like. You have fellowship with him. You know his ways. You know the, the, the intimate parts of his life. He shares with you knowledge of himself. That's what Jesus says a friend is. 
you favor him before others. You prefer him before others. That's what a friend does. I, I, I have loyalty towards God more than anybody else. And you also follow, right? You follow and obey. That is what a friend does. I follow. Here's a good question for your faith. Does your faith pass the friendship test? Kind of a silly way to think about it, maybe. But think about it, right? Right? You you can't be God's friend in, in these terms without works. Does your faith pass the friendship test? Could you be accused of being a friend of God? What does it mean to be a friend of God? It it means you're you're like a friend to God by the fact that you are loyal to God, right? You're loyal to friends. But God says you must be loyal to me above all others, even mother or brother or sister or family, right? You are loyal. That's what a friendship is. Loyalty, right? That's what God wants. How about time? Does God dominate your time? A real friend does. You cannot pull them apart. You cannot separate true friends. You are always together. Who influences you most? A friend influences you. And if you're God's friend, he influences you the most. Who do you fear the most? You fear your friends. You fear to disappoint them. You fear to displease them. Much more with God, with if you're a friend of God. Do you love what he loves? Do you hate what he hates? That's what you do with friends. You have shared interests. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? Do you obey him? There's a sense of of, of sweet picture with Abraham, right? He just genuinely trusted God. He has been faithful to me for so long, I will not desert him. There's a story of a church... And from church history about Polycarp. I won't go into all the details of his life, but he was, he was given a test to renounce Jesus and live or he'd be thrown to the lions and consumed. And what did he say? He said, when they were telling him, swear the oath and we will release you. All you have to do is just revile Jesus. What did Polycarp, the disciple of John, the friend of Ignatius say to these people when they said, just revile Christ? He said this, 86 years have I been his servant. And he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? There is a sweet trust. Even when you don't even understand what's happening or all that's in God's plans, you trust and you follow him. And that's what James is saying, right? He was willing even to sacrifice his own son because he trusted God. Matter of fact, Hebrews lets us in on the backstory here. He said, you know what? God can do what God's going to do. God has already given me a son through a woman that was basically dead. No offense, Sarah. I think he can either give me another son or even raise from the dead this son. I trust him more than I trust my senses, my feelings, my wisdom, because he has been good to me. Does your friendship with God pass the test? There are many, there are many gods in the world that you can serve and you can have a right relationship with, and not have a lot of friendship with, or not have a lot of change in your life because of, right? But not this God. This God will impact you. This God will change you. You can't be a friend of God without works, right? Here's here's another example. This is much uh, quicker. This is another Old Testament example 
This is Rahab's faith. You see this verse 25. And in the same way was not Rahab the harlot, a harlot <coughs> also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Here's the example of Rahab. If you're too intimidated by the faith that matured over time with Abraham, here, you got an you easy one, right? She was, she was a young Christian, you could say, right? First day Christian. But notice, even on her first day, she also had a faith that was full of good works. If you don't know the story, right? She was the harlot in the city of Jericho, and she chose to uh, join the children of Israel rather than stay in the city that was about to be destroyed because she'd heard about Yahweh and his, great, his greatness and his works. Look up Joshua chapter 2. It's an incredible story about a harlot. And that's another interesting thing, right? Here is a woman that has a truckload of sins, and she has faith in God, and you see that faith work itself out in what she does. Rahab believed Yahweh was supreme, but notice this, just believing facts about Yahweh wasn't enough. Her faith had to demonstrate itself. It had to show itself, and how did it show itself? It showed itself in two ways. This is the two ways that Rahab demonstrated that her faith was true, the real things. For her, faith meant she had to become an enemy to her people. She had to first become a spy against her own city and help the enemy. And faith also meant for Rahab that she had to become a friend of God's people. Don't you see this? A faith. You could say, and here's the point here, you can't be an enemy of God's people and have faith, right? Faith puts you into a new relationship with God, but that also means it puts you into a new relationship with God's people. I now no longer have the same relationship with people that don't love God, and now I have a new relationship with people who do love God. Once again, this ties right into James' context, right? If, if you say you have faith, but you don't love the Christian family, your brother or your sister, that's what it's referring to there in verse 13 or 15. If you don't have a love for the family of God, you can't point to your faith as genuine. Your faith with God changes the way you live with God's people. You can't be an enemy of God's people and have faith. Point number three. Now, our last, our last, our fourth, our fourth example. This is a, you could say, a natural example. We went from the supernatural to Old Testament, Old Testament, and now just a natural example. And you probably already know this. This is the point, verse twenty-six. Um, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. We've said it a few times, but let's just say it again. Here's the final point, the natural example. You can't be alive, you can't be spiritually alive and dead in works at the same time. You can't claim to be spiritually alive and have no works at the same time. You are as good as empty words, like we saw in the first example. And you are as good as an empty corpse, now that we see here in the last example. But do you see here? Faith animates your life. Faith gives your life everything that makes you a living creature. Faith changes everything. As a matter of fact, one commentator kind of said it this way, the best evidence of possessing faith is when faith itself possesses you. It's part of the grieving process at funerals that maybe we don't do all the time. It's, it's seeing the body, right? It helps people finally realize in a way that this person is gone. And if you've ever 
seen someone die, been at a, a bed like that, you, you know how very clear and evident and obvious it is that this person is dead. Because something just seems to leave. You were looking in their eyes a moment before, and suddenly there's nothing there. That person is dead. They're no longer here. They are with God in some way. This corpse is no longer really them. doesn't look like them at all. And your faith, though, if, if it doesn't have works, is dead, is empty, is an empty blank course, a corpse. If, you're, if your faith doesn't then have fruit, some evidences, some demonstrations, and I'm not talking about cheap, easy evidences, right? I, I go to be with Christians that I like, and I say things. That's not the kind of evidence I'm talking about. If your faith doesn't actually have uh, evidence that is difficult, that is personally sacrificial, it hasn't really been proven yet, right? Uh, Rahab's, Rahab's faith put her in dangerous positions. Abraham's faith led to personal sacrifice. Faith is evidenced through you in your worst situations and how you respond. Is it empty? Is it vain? Is it useless? Is it saving at all? No, I would submit to you that you know your faith. You know your faith by who you love and by who you hate and what you imitate. You know your faith by who you love, what you hate, and what you imitate. That is where you can properly assess the saving quality of your faith. Final, final little point. How are we going to summarize this in our little, little silly James summary by hand motions? Oh, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a silly one, I know, but let's do it like this, okay? Roots. Roots. Without fruits. Roots. Without fruits. And, and how, do, how do you say something in German is useless, Matt? Or weak, or empty, or lacking vitality. Do you want me to say kaputs? Yes. <laughs> Roots without fruits are kaputs. <laughs> It'll help you remember it. Roots without fruits are kaputs. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for um, this evening that we've been able to spend together. We pray that your word would magnify what is happening in our heart and in our faith. And this wouldn't cause us to be proud or puffed up against you, but cause us to run to the righteousness that we, are found, that we can find in Christ alone. And I pray that our faith would be of the genuine kind that produces evident fruit, even in the hardest situations. I pray this in his name. Amen.